Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm your host, Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. And I'm joined, as always, by Brianna Wu, Democratic Candidate for Congress. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom and Burrow. And uh, Simone de Rochefort, uh, editor at Poly- video editor at Polygon.com, is not with us today for a couple of reasons. First of all, my fault. I'm actually not feeling that great. And so we didn't record at our normal time. We're recording very early in the morning of Thursday. Um, but also, Simone is at, a, is at Comic-Con. Oh, congratulations. Uh, congrats, <laughs> Simone. I mean, although, you know what? Uh, like, yeah. I've, I've been to Comic-Con. Yeah? It's... When you're there for work, that is not the best. I mean, Godspeed, Simone, right? Like, I'm just saying, like... Yeah, it's like PAX East. It's not like parties. It's like working your butt off. Uh, but it's worse because you have literally tens of thousands of people there. And then if you were media, in most places, you have some sort of, like, access where you can have, like, they have special sections for you and and, and certain, you know, lines you can get in. And, and there's... it's. It's so much work, but there's, you know, it's easy to do, it's easier to do your job. Like the, the, they go out of their way to like make it easy for you to get access to what you need to get access to. At Comic-Con, they don't. So press are not treated any differently than anyone else. So if you want to cover a panel, if you, even if you have like interviews scheduled, like outside or whatnot, if you want to do anything, you have to be at Hall H lined up the same way as anyone else. And First time I was ever there was the first year that uh, Twilight was at Comic Con. Oh my god! And wow. uh, l- that was actually the kind of the turning point for Comic Con as a whole, from what I understand. Like it had always been a big deal, and there always been hordes, but that was the mainstream moment where it went from just like this kind of like you know nerd con thing to you now had thousands of teenage girls who will wait out all night. And yep. we'll 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 go toe to toe with anybody else and just flooded it and like no one was expecting that type of response. <laughs> um and yeah. uh yeah. So Godspeed yeah. Simone. Godspeed yeah. Simone. We hope she survives. Uh we're all pulling for her. We we are. I mean, um I, I appreciated your uh your your shout out to me last week uh, about uh I did not wind up in in Jail, jail. Uh, <laughs> Did you get the lightsaber? We got to ask I, you about I this. No, I didn't. I oh, wanted to make Christina, an appointment. I know. Yeah. I was going to make an appointment. The issue was we decided to go kind of late. And so by the time I was trying to like make an appointment, they didn't have any available, uh, any times available. And then it was raining um, uh, most of the day. And so we were just trying to kind of, you know, get on what rides we could. I got to say, your pictures from down there, it just made me very bitter. <laughs> I'm stuck in Boston this week. That sucked. So, uh, yeah, it was good. But, and then, and then, uh, uh, the, the, the near, well, no, I wasn't nearly arrested because I didn't say anything except for on the internet. Uh, but, uh, the feet situation. <laughs> Tell the listeners about this. This was yeah. so bad. Oh my God. Yeah. So, uh, um, Simone and Bree had alluded to it at the beginning of last show. Uh, I, um, there was a, a kid who was sitting in front of me. Uh, I did not get my first class upgrade, uh, womp womp, <laughs> uh, on my first leg of the flight. I did on my second, and uh, decided to. I don't know, and and like he was probably like ten, but like my size, like his feet were definitely bigger than mine. Really? Oh yeah. His, well, I he mean, was I have, ten years old. Those look like grizzled adult feet. Uh, that have, like, I know. Been to war. I right? mean, 
it, they did, right? But I'll I'll put the tweet in 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 the show notes to horrify you all. Um, don't don't look at the tweet. I'm just yeah. gonna tell <laughs> viewers, listeners, you don't want to see this. Yeah, so I didn't want to see it. You, I know. You, well, yeah. I didn't. I certainly didn't want to see it. So this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my quote unquote comfort plus seat. And then all of a sudden I like, just see like this foot in between no. the, the, the gap between um, the seat in front of me and my face. And I, I don't know how he contorted his body or what he did, but just the, the, the foot was just in my face. And I was Ew. just like, okay. <laughs> if, if, oh if, uh, I was like, how much, do I want to get how much of a thing do I want to make about this? And if it hadn't been a kid, I definitely would have gotten like actively involved, but because it was Yeah. It's the parent, right? It, it, because well, you, you Well, you get the parents didn't the care. Parents. I mean, the, he, yeah. he, he was he was all turned around. He was doing I don't even know and like the parents didn't care and I was just like, "All right, this is this will wind up with me in some sort of screaming match and will will wind up with me being detained so i'm just <laughs> going to send this to my uh, group chats and uh complain about this on twitter so i love it, it, I love it, it. it it's what it was all right wise course of action let's talk out some tech yes okay so um uh face app is back in the news god Ah, um, oh, okay, yeah. Tell people about. All this. right, so so FaceApp is this is this app because that um is it, it was popular a couple of years ago where it's basically one of those AI apps where you take a photo and it applies various AI filters and and gives you a certain look and so it's kind of like FaceTune which is different. FaceTune lets you kind of control what you want to do to it, like if you want to give yourself a you know um a, you know if if you want to make yourself look. Uh, younger, for instance, or maybe, you know, like less uh, high blemishes or, you know, <laughs> do other stuff like like lots of celebrities love their Facetune because it's basically like a, a very easy to use like airbrush tool. But FaceApp will apply various um, filters um, to um, images. And um, I mean, they're, they're good. Like they, they, they can kind of show you like, hey, this is what you would look like with a different hairstyle or different, you know, um, uh, you know, um, eyes or, or, or different um, you know, hair color or whatever. And one of the filters that they also have is uh, the ability to make yourself look old. <laughs> and um, I got to say, like, again, like they're they're pretty scary and pretty good. Um, yeah. And did so, you see the one of Steve Bannon? Someone ran yes. Oh my god, it they're was all, great. They are it so good. Great. So if you've been on like Facebook or, or or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you've probably seen a lot of people um posting photos of their older selves because the app has gone viral again in in the last couple of days with a lot of celebrities getting involved. But um along with that are um some various privacy concerns about how this app works because there's been some kind of thought that basically says, hey, what they appear to do is actually upload to, 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 to take to do this process. They're actually uploading your photos to their website, applying the filter, and then it's downloading back to your phone. And um, the in the past, when this sort of thing has come up, the CEO of the company, and this is a Russian company, I should add to, is basically said, hey, the reason they do this is, is to save um, a bandwidth if, if you're applying a couple of filters and that they get deleted um, not long after. Um, and um, in an up, and so what's happening with this is even though the memes are great and the Steve Bannon one is really good, um, a lot of people are now saying, hey, wait a minute, 
what about our privacy? What's happening to our photos? What are you doing? Yeah. And so yeah. that conversation has come up again. And um, that's also, again, because of the Russian connection, the Democrats are now calling on it to be investigated. And, you know, it's worth saying, like, uh, you know, this is how Cambridge Analytica, uh, it started with uh, basically a quiz app that went viral and everybody gave it their information. And that's how that all started. So we've seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah, we have. And and I mean, I mean, on the one hand, part of me and, and when we talk about our second story, I'm going to be this kind of like makes this makes me be less charitable. Like on the one hand, part of me doesn't like the fact that we are turning anything that comes from Russia into a boogeyman. Yeah. Uh, because I think that in, I think that gets real close to uh, whether or not that is like, you know, kind of getting xenophobic, kind of the same way I feel about the, the, you know, uh, attacking any, any Chinese company because it's coming from China. Like it, there's, there's a line there. Yep. But on the other hand, you know, this is a company that has had issues before that people are concerned with and that, you know, has is now going viral in a way where you see lots of influencers and lots of people using it. And so it is, as you said, you know, the Cambridge Analytic thing started because of a, a quiz app that had more access to things than they were supposed to. Um, this, in fairness, I guess, to, to the company behind FaceApp, what they're doing is all on their terms of service. So it's not like, you know, the the Facebook thing or the quiz app where people are unknowingly exposing their friends and other information to them. But it is still a concern and something people should be aware about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So Verge dug into this. They went, they talked to the developers and they found out, and it's worth saying, like what they're doing with the app, according to what we know now, it looks pretty innocuous. Um, yeah, they could do this uh, computation on the device. They don't, uh, they said, in case people are trying to do multiple filters at once. Uh, the company that makes this, they say that they delete the app not long, the pictures not long after. They don't store them. But we can't know that. We can't know that because we're not sitting there on the server. So I really agree with you, Christina. Like, we can't. You know, we can't uh, master blast every single company just because it comes from you know, China or Russia. But at the same time, this has uh, sparked a very needed privacy debate once again, because you're giving up your information. You don't know what they're doing with these uh, pictures. You don't know how they're storing them. You don't know what their deletion policy is. And this is why, you know, I am going to always believe that it's not reasonable to believe in a future. Where people are going to delete everything, I'm sorry, where they're going to follow better privacy practices. So we need regulation. We need a framework in place to protect people because there's not ever going to be a magical future where people, you know, your grandmother, your parents, your friends, they all understand this stuff and don't fall for it. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I guess my only question is, how do we enforce that? Because in this case, you know, this is this is an app coming from, you know, another another um, uh, country and it's distributed through the App Store um, and Apple has their own terms. So, so are you saying that you want to have terms then on top of um, Apple's terms that, that companies have to apply for? And how do we how do we enforce it? Like, how do we make sure that, that these things are happening? Because a lot of times you don't even know what's happening. Like on Android, for instance, like iOS, there are certain things in the software, although there are still kind of ways around it where you know, sandboxes that prevent companies from sending 
stuff out without your explicit consent. And when then when it's found that those things aren't working, then then you know Apple will revoke things. But in Android, those types of things really don't exist. And so yep. there's case after case after case after case of malware, like legit malware, being installed on people's phones. Yep. Um, and, and and let's be honest, Android is the bigger attack surface by absolutely. Uh, an order of magnitude. Without a doubt. So what I guess I'm saying is I, I don't disagree with what, with, with what you're saying here, but how do we enforce this? How do we actually get people to, you know, to, to follow up with this and, and, and not just say, oh, yeah, we'll follow the rules? <laughs> well, I think, like, you've got to open up to civil penalties if they end up breaking these laws. And, you know, like, we're talking about potential regulation to basically protect consumers and their privacy. So I'm not going to sit here and draft it on rocket off the top of, of my head. But I think things like uh, you know, differential privacy is the technology Apple uses. That makes a lot of sense to me. It allows cloud computing to kind of have these large data sets, but it's also impossible to reverse engineer it to an individual user. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, and I do think Android is the far bigger attack surface. So what I would do is I would say, you know, maybe a three strikes in your out rule where if you break the these best practices over and over and over again, um, you know, you are open to civil damages here in the United States and basically you can get sued out of existence. I also think that, you know, holding Google liable in some sort of way would not be out of bounds if they refuse to police this over and over again. My, my bigger point is we do have practices that we could put into place on this to protect privacy and let users experience that joy. And I don't think it's reasonable to expect consumers to ever reach that point where they can kind of uh, make these decisions for themselves. Yeah, that's that, that's a great point. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom from our friends at SolarWinds. It is summertime, but before you pack your bags and set your email to out of office, you need something to tell you everything is running smoothly on your site. And more importantly, when it's not. So you need Pingdom. And Pingdom will help let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. So you can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the severity of an outage. So when you're out of office, you can stay out of the office. So you can take your vacation with peace of mind while Pingdom is monitoring your website. And it's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they will take care of the rest. So you can go to pingdom.com slash OOO right now for a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. And for a limited time only, you can enter uh, for a chance to win a free out-of-office t-shirt by going to pingdom.com slash OOO. The shirt's really, really funny, so you can check that out. Pingdom.com slash OOO. Use the code ROCKET at checkout for 30% off your first invoice. And our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Love Pingdom. Love them. Love that. And uh, and yeah, the shirt is really funny. And we know how I feel about good shirts. So just, uh, just one more thing before we move on yes. to the next topic. The Washington Post did a uh, investigation, and you know, if you think FaceApp is bad, uh, you know, Washington Post looked into a bunch of uh, you know browser extensions uh, plugged into. Uh, Chrome specifically, and found out just an absolute avalanche of data they were sending to third parties. So again, 
you know, it's just it's it's nearly impossible for you to go through and like run IP sniffer and find out every single place that your data is being sent. So again, I feel like overarching privacy regulation is the way to go here. Yeah, and that's actually mentioning that having even like running packet sniffers, not knowing exactly what's happening on your system is a really great segue to a story that started last week. Um, and, and I don't, uh, believe that you, uh, two talked about it, but it has extended into this week because of some stuff that has happened, which is, uh, with zoom. So this makes me mad. Like this makes me actually angry yeah. <laughs> like i was a fan of zoom I, I was a big fan i am now with the way that the company handled everything and with was seeing what's happened i'm furious i'm absolutely furious um i should say at the outset uh that uh even though i was a uh a, a very much like I very much liked the service and was using it quite frequently. Um, I, as Zoom customer, I uh, do work at Microsoft, which obviously makes uh, Skype and um, uh, Microsoft Teams, which could be seen as a competitor to Zoom. I just want to put that out there. Um, so the background on this story is that Zoom is a public company. They make a very popular um, workplace, or not even workplace, but just the video chat app. And it's it's a really easy way to do uh, video or audio conferencing. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, a lot of people like it better um, than Skype because it has some um, other features. Um, you can have a, a bunch of people in the call at once. You can record things really easily, and it'll record each person's side of the conversation. Um, it's, uh, it's really easy to use. It's, it's uh, a tool that's been used by a lot of businesses because even though it's 2019, things like video conferencing is still not easy. And so, um, it, it, you know, the company went public earlier this year and, and is, has been doing really well. Well, a security <laughs> researcher found something last week that basically said, hey, um, there, there's some, he published a, a vulnerability basically saying, hey, there's something going on with Zoom. Um, there's, there's kind of an a, a interesting thing here where you can, without being prompted, the app is just going to open up. And, and and launch you into a meeting um, if if you click on a link and 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 this looks like this is a vulnerability and so he tried to report it to the company gave them ninety days which is kind of the standard dis- or one hundred twenty days which is like the standard disclosure policy and said hey please fix this the company then went and said um, it, it took them a really long time to get back to him and they said okay, well, we'll fix one of these things, but this other issue we actually consider a feature, not a bug, and so we're not going to touch it. Oh, also, by the way, if you want to get the bug bounty, you're going to have to sign an NDA and not let anybody know about this, which uh, they pointed out in their blog post is common practice, and it's not uncommon, but it's it's certainly not common practice. And so the, the, the guy wouldn't take the money and basically was like, no, we're, we're going to go public and say what this is, especially since you're not fixing... Um, the issue, one of the issues was that, so how um, Zoom works is that the idea would be that you click on a link and it would immediately launch you into your video conference. Now, typically what happens is that uh, there are things called um, uh, like URIs, like URL schemes for specific apps. And so an app might have um, a, um, like a, you know, in this case might be like Zoom colon slash slash 
um, and, and basically a prefix attached to it so that if you have the app installed on your system and you click on it, then it'll kind of give you a, a pop notice and say, hey, you want to open this in this app. And, and it will do that. And you can assign um, certain apps to open things in, in, in certain places. Well, in Safari, for instance, um, you can't do that silently. Safari has a pop-up that makes the user ensure that they're actually saying, yes, I want to open this link inside Zoom. Zoom didn't like that they had to have this pop-up. And so to get around that and to make it a true one-click scenario, they decided to install a web server alongside every single copy of Zoom on users' Macs. And when they did this, um, you know, it's always running and um, they're not, you know, telling people about it. The, the, the issue is, is that A, there was a security, potential security vulnerability with the web server. This came out later. B, when you uninstall Zoom, the web server was still installed. Yep. Worse, if you then clicked on a link again that was for Zoom, it would reinstall Zoom immediately. So it's not behaving the way that an app, frankly, should be behaving. And the internet was understandably outraged about what was happening. And Zoom's initial response was, in my opinion, unconscionable and was completely unacceptable. Their initial response was to say, well, we fixed these issues, but this other thing is a feature, not a bug. And we think our users want this. And this really isn't a big deal. And how dare you? Then the backlash gets worse. And they, they start to say, okay, well we'll, well, we'll issue an update that will make it possible to uninstall this server. Um, and then they come back again and say, okay, okay, actually, we've heard you. The, the outrage is pretty bad. We will issue an update that will remove this from everyone's machine um, if you have Zoom installed and, and we won't install this again. The problem was, if you had installed Zoom in the past, but you'd gotten rid of it, that web server is still there. And obviously, unless you consciously go and download the Zoom update, you're not going, it's not going to be removed from your system. Yep. It then turned out that there was a, um, uh, another uh, remote you know, security vulnerability, remote you know, execution attack, basically, that had been out there that the first researcher did not find, but apparently was really close to finding, that um, could have made it possible for anybody else who knew that, who, if you had that installed on your system, to potentially you know, execute things on your system. So Apple stepped in and issued a silent update um, to remove the server from all users' computers using um, Gatekeeper and using the the built-in malware engine that is built into the uh, Mac OS update system. And also made it so it will automatically install that. That's a really big part. Of yes, that exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the, the silent part. So yeah. So the 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 way that the gatekeeper works, it it's enabled by default. You can disable it, but the way that gatekeeper works is that um, it there's a component inside of it that basically um, will issue certain updates with very specific scenarios. It has like basically kind of a, a malware um, definition list, and basically says if this sort of uh, content exists. If we see the files that are marked this way, then we will remove them. 
Um, Apple doesn't issue a lot of these silent updates, um, automatic updates very often. When they do, it is it is almost exclusively in the cases of things like Trojans or malware that has been uh, potentially, uh, you know, w- that could be potentially weaponized or in a scenario like this where maybe users would not be able to delete um, the, wouldn't even know if they, if they, they needed to, to uh, delete the, the stuff from their system. Um, so uh, Apple issued the, the silent update for, for Zoom last week and then issued another silent update um, earlier this week uh, that um, basically um, got rid of the, the same content that was being used by a Zoom partner. Um, and so, uh, that I think, uh, that that's opened up a lot of interesting questions, um, because some people have said, have caused this non-consensual technology. I think that that, uh, is, um, pretty different from what's happening with, with the, the, um, Apple system. So, um, I'm going to read a comment that I wrote on, on Hacker News when I was arguing with some people about, <laughs> about this. Because you people, went on Hacker News to argue with strangers about this? God bless you, Christina. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, wow. I did. Wow. So, somebody was basically saying that um, Apple was violating people's rights and saying, oh, I don't like how, how Apple is doing this because this, this uh, doesn't... Uh, I, I don't like them having control and, and issuing updates on my system without my permission. And so what I wrote, basically, because I think the initial person said something like, um, the problem is that Apple appears to have made an exception to their own rules in this particular case, blah, blah, blah. What? And 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 saying that, they, that they're, you know, kind of making the rules on this stuff and, and really getting all hand-wringy about what's happening. And I was like, you know, this is untrue. The update process was part of XProtect, the malware definition signature system that's built into macOS. And that's part of Gatekeeper. And the system dates back to uh, macOS 10.5 Leopard. And then it was expanded into Snow Leopard. And then the Gatekeeper GUI was introduced with Mountain Lion, blah, blah, blah. Um, And um, um, updates um, were historically issued uh, using minor OS updates, but Apple started to do silent updates um, to the XProtect definition list a number of years ago as a way to target popular um, and growing strains of malware. And um, there have been a few instances in the last few years where, um, you know, the the repos um, or built-in update systems of legitimate programs, for instance, were compromised and bundled with malware. And in, in one case, it was actually ransomware um, alongside those apps. And so in those cases, Apple would silently update the XProtect um, system to remove that malware. Um, and you know, in this case, my, my feeling was just because this was a web server and not something that was more traditional, like a like a Trojan, doesn't mean that it isn't still malware. Um, because in this case, it was. It was something that could have been weaponized, that there was an RCE about it, and it could have been taken advantage of. And there was not a way for users to be able to to get rid of this. So you know, yeah, I mean, I read about the story, and what I think made it so frustrating, Christina, is you know, like we're both technically inclined people, and there was no way to uninstall it no. in a way that that verified uh, in a in a certain way that this was going to be taken care of. No, yeah, I think it's worth saying. Like for me, just as a, a politician, I cannot tell you how many meetings I've had with Zoom, with uh, you know, donors, with institutions totally. we're trying to get uh, endorsements from. Like I use this software constantly, and finding out that this kind of uh, 
you know, Trojan horse was living in my browser. It was really, really unsettling, not just because of what they could do, but but when you have a vulnerability like this, it right. means anyone can exploit it. You know, no, completely. Uh, hostile foreign nations could exploit well, it. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, anybody, I mean, that was the thing for me, right? I mean, like, you know, Gatekeeper was, was built to do this. And you can turn, if you don't, if you're somebody who really doesn't want your operating system manufacturer to be able to issue um, silent updates and potentially remove software from your system. Look, there are some people who really want complete control of everything. Fine. You can turn the feature off. I think that it's the same default to have it on and it's a good thing. Apple has been really judicious about how they um, apply this stuff. Some people try to split hairs again and say, oh, well, it's one thing to get rid of a Trojan, but not this web server. Please. And I'm going, I agree 100% because, you know, um, this this was a this was a um, you know people were saying oh this was a mistake and and I think I, I responded in another comment that it was being uh, somebody said oh um, it just seems like Apple was, was helping them fix their mistake and I was like okay that's being pretty kind of a company that bypassed a system setting designed to respect user permissions by writing an always running insecure web server and then refusing to remove that web server and even reinstalling itself when you remove the app oh yep. and the company that defended the insecure web server. Up until the moment the public outrage exploded and or this RCE um, it had willfully ignored was about to be revealed. Oh, and a public company, by the way, that's trying to convince businesses to use its product as its primary chat system. So, yeah, I mean, what Zoom did here was just like it was it's bad enough to do this. It was their response where they were like, yeah. Where they're like, oh no, this is a feature. Our users want a one-click solution, and don't they don't dare want a pop-up that says, "Do you want to open this link in Zoom?" So I feel, and, and tell me if you agree with this, but I think when you specifically engineer a feature like that to get around Apple's very strictly coded uh, warnings for for people, like, "Hey, this app is going to use your microphone," or "Hey, this app is going to use your location data," when you're specifically engineering features to get a, a, away from that, I I personally feel like that's the point where Apple or Microsoft or any big tech company should say. We can't work together. This is blatantly anti-user. This is, I mean, this is a really serious security concern to me, yeah. Christina. No, I totally. And I mean, and the thing is, is there have been other apps that people have pointed out that also have web servers for various reasons. And I can understand that they might need to have a web server running because there might be something involved in what the app is doing. In this right. case, it seems particularly egregious because it was designed to get around a systems permission dialogue that Safari displayed. Like, that's really what this was designed for. And I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I do think it's important to note, like, Zoom was not distributed in the Mac App Store. It is just a normal Mac app. And so at that point, yeah, I think the question becomes, like, do you get your developer certificate revoked? Um, I think I think this is one of these things where it's like uh, two strikes and you're out, maybe. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I was like, going to say, because that seems, that seems harsh, right? Like, on the one hand, I, I want to be like, you're in, you're done. Uh, on the other hand, if we're being realistic, like, again, this is a public company. This is a company that has millions and millions of users. It's not necessarily going to be in, you know, somebody's best interest to deny them an app certificate because, A, you can still install them anyway. Again, then if somebody wants to use the app, they're going to be bypassing built-in security stuff, and that's not useful. So... 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you, kind of like as two strikes, you're out scenario. Yeah, it strikes one and two. If they do this again, if they get busted doing this again, and all eyes are going to be on them very correctly. But, you know, this is such a user-hostile, anti-privacy um, action that I, I if, if they did this again and Apple said, we're revoking your developer certificate, we can't work together, I think that would be a fantastic action. But you got to give them a chance to clean up their mess. Um, I also want to circle back around, Christine, and say to the people out there that are like, I don't want any automatic updates on my machine, I have no sympathy for <laughs> you whatsoever. None. I have uh, you know, my production Mac Pro that I use for 3D renders and really computationally intensive uh, tasks. You know, that sits there. It's not updated. It's not even connected to the internet. And I understand the need for someone to say, this is a machine that's frozen in time. If any updates get applied to it, uh, that's on me. But it's the ultimate freaking edge case, right? right? We have to take actions that keep people as a whole safe and secure. It's not an exaggeration to say we are talking about the national security of the United States when we're talking about these practices. And I just, I think it is, it is so narcissistic, Christina. It is so narcissistic to be like, oh, I can't be bothered to go uncheck or check this one feature over here to protect like ordinary people worldwide. It is so narcissistic in my opinion. Yeah, no, I 1000% agree with you. It's one of those things where I, again, I could, I could be more sympathetic to this argument if there was no way to turn the feature off, right? Yeah. I could be sympathetic to the theory that says, hey, I've made the decision to install these things. It's my computer. If I want to have you know, dangerous things on there. If I want to potentially be unprotected, that's on me. I'm making this decision. Like, I think that's fine, right? Like, I think this is one of like the, the core differences between Windows and Linux and and uh, Mac OS versus, say, iOS, right? Like, yep. iOS, um, unless you are, uh, you know, self-signing something and, and, and sideloading an app, there is not a way to kind of run whatever you want to run. And I can, I, I feel that, um, like that pain point as like a power user and an edge case frequently. That said, um, that's a trade-off we've been willing to accept on phones. It's not one we've been making on on PCs. That said, as long as I can turn that feature off, I don't I don't have a problem with again, like you said, like protecting the mainstream, protecting like the ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people. Like yep. especially when it's used judiciously. Like this is not a case where Apple is just saying willy-nilly, oh, we're going to, you know, issue updates because it and remove something because we don't like the company or because it violates this or that. Like this isn't one of those scenarios. This is literally saying this had this is like potentially malware. This is an issue that could be exploited. This is a security bug and it it's not just national security. It's like individual user security too, because all it would take for something like this that's been installed potentially on, you know, tens of millions of machines would be for it to get exploited and then for people to have phishing attacks and have all kinds of terrible things going on. Like to me, the the really, you know, terrible thing would be if you had an ability to issue that kind of update and you didn't, you know, especially yeah. when the company was so reckless and how they put that stuff out there. So I'm I'm with you 100%. 
Yeah. So, um, like I said, strikes one and two, I will not be using Zoom anymore for meetings. Personally, um, we'll find another way to do it. We'll install Skype. Skype runs like crap on the Mac, but <laughs> I will install that before I will work with them again. Well, I mean, uh, I'm, yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, my my um, my manager has been the biggest Zoom fanatic. Like, he, uh, even though we work at Microsoft, he very much will always use the, the non-Microsoft option if he can just to be you know, Prashant. And <laughs> one of the many reasons I love him. And, uh, and and it's not because he has anything against Microsoft. It's just, I think, more like damn the man sort of thing. Um, and so all of our meetings, you know, he loved Zoom. Like he had a paid account. Like he loved it. And no, we're using Teams now for our meetings because he's really upset with the way they handle everything. And I'm in 100% agreement. Like I, again, I've really liked it. And if uh, somebody, you know, I'm on a call with or whatever has chooses to use it, that's fine. I will. But for my own things, I'm not going to use it anymore because I'm just so turned off by what's happened. But I have to agree. All right. Ridiculous stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's not ridiculous, though, is uh, is Burrow. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Burrow and Burrow makes simple, innovative furniture for modern life at home. And so they make uh, an award-winning sofa that is packed full of clever features and thoughtful touches. And you'll wonder why you didn't upgrade your living room situation sooner. So Burrow has had rave reviews. I know that Simone has one that she loves it. One customer said that Burrow's nailed it on quality and craftsmanship and customer service. And another person said that it was super easy to set up, only taking 20 minutes. I wish my couch setup only took 20 minutes um, <laughs> and that they love how versatile it is. What's great about Burrow is that the sofa is modular, so it comes together in minutes. And then you can add or remove seats as you need them. And it you can take it apart super easily um, if you move. It also has a built-in USB charger. I love this so much. Oh my so god! So you can charge your devices right from your sofa. I love that. Um, and that's it's, a great idea. I wish my couch had that. Me too. Right? Like honestly, that's I'm I'm jealous that I don't have one. Um, and and uh, it's super customizable, so you can choose from five different fabric colors, uh, three like finishes. They have uh, two different armrest styles. You can have any length, and then you can um, add a chaise or an ottoman to it. Um, and, and plus, they just launched the Nomad Leather Collection, which has the same convenient design, but now with an option of top grain uh, Italian leather upholstery. And uh, like I said, I know that uh, the, the, the Simone um, has one of these um, sofas, and she loves it. But um, I know that for me, like, Brie, you just moved. And, <laughs> and so you just had to go through that process uh, did, did you buy a new sofa? Did you have to move your sofa? Like, what, what was your scenario we there? We moved it and we paid people to do it. And it was a terrible experience. <laughs> I would not recommend it to anyone. Yeah. So it would have been nice to have like a modular sofa that you would have like yeah. been able to easily put together and like set up. <laughs> yeah. We're taking like every door in the house off the hinges to get into right? the room that we needed. It was no. terrible. So w- when I moved um, from New York City to Seattle, um, and actually when I even moved from uh, uh, Atlanta to New York, I had this great sofa, like this very, very expensive sofa that I bought in college that I got a great deal on, but it was still very expensive. And it was the same sort of thing. Like New York, I'll never forget because we had a weird building. Like it was you know, one of those older, you know, New York buildings. And then they had two buildings. They kind of cut it in in a weird way. And so the the staircases kind of winded. And it was like out of a sort of friends when Ross 
is trying to get the and Rachel they're yeah, trying to get pivot, the, the, the pivot, yeah pivot pivot. pivot. <laughs> Fortunately, we paid someone to do it, um, but I don't know how they got it in. And then in Seattle, once we finally got the sofa in, we looked at it and we were like, "This sofa is trashed." And okay, we're just gonna get rid of it. And then we had to pay somebody to come back and like throw the sofa away. Um, so. Honestly, when I looked at it, I was like, "This we we just shouldn't have moved with this, and we should have just bought a bought a new one rather than having to go through the process of moving it in <laughs> and then having to move it out again." So that was that was really fun. So definitely having something like Burrow, um, which has a modular design, is easy to use, and has that USB thing, uh, would have helped. So uh, I'm next time I move, uh, which hopefully won't be for a while, but next time I move, this is definitely <laughs> what I'm going to do. So if you are in the market for a new sofa, you can give your living room the upgrade it deserves with a Burrow sofa. And you can get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping by visiting burrow.com slash rocket. That is B-U-R-R-O-W, burrow.com slash rocket for $75 off your order. And our thanks to Burrow for their support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. I just thinking, how many like batteries, USB batteries, do you have around the house that you like bring to your sofa? I mean, oh, that would yeah. be so awesome just to be able to plug it in. No, it would. Also, like how many times when you're like, you know, having to move the sofa back to find the plug so you can plug in your phone or whatever. Yeah. You know, I do that all the time where I'm like, you know, making sure that I'm setting things up correctly. So I'm like, am I near a plug? Am I near a plug? Oh, <laughs> you know, gosh. so I can plug in. So that's, I love that. All right, um, let's do this last topic. Let's yeah, all right. Yep. So uh, are, are, are you a 10X engineer, Brie? <laughs> I am not. I am absolutely not. <laughs> me either. At least by the definition that uh, went viral this uh, week. Yeah, no, me either. I am a 1X engineer. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so uh, this 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 venture capitalist dude uh, uh, had, a, had a tweet storm that went pretty viral. And uh, it's pretty gross where he is talking about the, the myth of 10X engineers, which incidentally is a myth. Uh, but but he, he apparently does not think so. He's like, founders, if you ever come across this rare breed of engineer, grab them. If you have a 10X engineer as part of your first few engineers, you increase the odds of your startup success significantly. Okay, here's a tough question. How do you spot a 10-time engineer, a 10X engineer? And, and then he goes through the list. Number one, 10X engineers hate meetings. They think that it's a waste of time and obvious things are being discussed. They attend meetings because the manager has called for a staff meeting to discuss features and status. Number two, timings in the office for 10X engineers are highly irregular. They tend to work when very few folks are around. If there's a crowd or an all-hands meeting, they are not visible. Most of them are late-night coders and come late to the office. Number three. 10X engineers' laptop screen background color is typically black. They always change the defaults. Their keyboards, keys such as I, F, X are, are usually worn out, and if uh, uh, out, then an A, S, and E for email senders. Number four, a 10X engineer knows every line of the code that has ever gone into production, and if a QA support uh, folks alert them of an issue, they know precisely where the fault or bug is and can fix it um, in the same hours versus days. Number five, most of the 10X engineers are full-stack engineers, and for them, code is code. They don't care whether it's front-end or back-end or API or database, serverless, et cetera. I've rarely seen them doing UI work. Okay. Number six, 10X engineers can convert thought into code in their mind and write it in an iterative fashion. Given a product feature, they can write that entire feature in one or two settings, uh, sittings um, of four to six hours with a caffeinated drink without distraction. 
Uh, number seven, Tinex engineers rarely look at help documentation of classes or methods. They know oh. <laughs> they know it in memory and can recall it from memory. They write oh. code at the same ease as writing English. No breaks, no pauses, just type. Uh, number eight, Tinex engineers are always learning new frameworks and languages ahead of everyone else in the company, and they're not afraid of anything new. If there is something new, e.g. blockchain, they gobble it up, set up, experiment before anyone else is getting started. Number nine, Tinex engineers are poor mentors as they can't teach others what to do or parcel the work. They always think, it takes too much time to teach or discuss with others. I'd rather do it myself. They are also poor interviewers. Number 10, Tinex engineers don't hack things. They write quality code (laughs) and know exactly how the code has to evolve and have a mental model of overall code structure. Oh, they write. This person uh, has never worked on an engineering team. Oh, I'm clearly, guessing. clearly. Oh and then, then, then uh, number eleven, Tinex engineers rarely job hunt or move out of the company. They move out because you make their life miserable with the process, meetings, training, and other non-value added activities. If you come across them, hold on to them, celebrate them. So I have a lot to say. Yeah, on this, please, 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 please tell us your thoughts on this because I want to hear them. Uh, so wow, and you know, I had a pretty viral like response to this whole thing. But uh, how can I put this? You know, Christina, when Snow Crash came out in the '90s, this is a famous Neil Stevenson novel. Um, it was kind of in this era where we were moving beyond, you know, DOS and Windows 3.1 programs. And the industry is growing to the point where you really needed uh, a team to build uh, a, a piece of software that had a lot of uh, worth, right? Like you kind of gone to the point where someone could sit down and like code a word processor themselves or a spreadsheet to really needing teams for that. This was the 90s. It is now 2019. And it is true that one person can, you know, sometimes make an indie game or something like that. But most software that you use on your Mac or your iPhone or, you know, even through Windows, it's built by teams of professionals. And the reality is coding in 2019, it doesn't, it's it's a myth that there's this like lone genius sitting down coding at all. There, there are a different set of skills. They're very, very critical. One, I would say the most important skill that anyone on a coding team can have is, is team skills. The ability to work with others, the ability to accept uh, constructive criticism, and this kind of myth about this, uh, this, toxic nerd that's just such a genius coder that they can't be bothered to attend meetings or help mentor people or document the code that they're writing. It's just absolutely fundamentally untrue. I have worked with these people. I have fired these people. And it's almost never worth the trade-off because they cause so much destruction to the team around them. I mean, is that your thought on this? Uh, yeah, completely. I also think that, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's offensive. Uh, this whole thing is like offensive to me on like a lot of levels, right? Like this whole thread of just reinforcing these stereotypes that don't actually exist, um, and kind of setting people up to be like, oh, there's this perfect type of of, of coder, and if you're not this, then you're nothing. Right. Um, is uh, I don't know. It's just really insulting, um, and and completely encouraging the wrong types of activities. Right? Like we 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 spent so much time, I think, over the last few decades of trying to get rid of this notion of this like loner nerd 
you know, who who can't work with anybody and who just needs to to be in in their little closet in the dark, you know, and, and leave them alone and and can't um, have uh, have you know any sort of conversations and whatnot. Um, to say no, you know, you can have social skills and you can enjoy people, and you don't have to. Um, and, and you and you can be a mentor, and you can do other stuff to be a good developer. And then you see something like this that goes viral, and then your response, which I'm also going to link to um, uh, in uh, in our show notes, um, is great too. It's just ridiculous. Um, and I mean, I, I do want to say, you know, programming is a really big field, and I've worked with people on the autism spectrum, oh, and totally. they do have a, a very different set of needs. Totally, um, you don't have to be like a super team-oriented person in order to be a coder. There is no specific thing that a coder looks like in 2019. We are a lot of different people. But what is true, what is true is, and I've, I've experienced this firsthand, Christina, I am... I am happiest when I'm just left alone in my office being able to figure out how to do something I've never done before. Um, I booted up Unreal 4 the other day and just started messing with their collision algorithms uh, and physics plugins just because it was it was fun. That's my idea of a relaxing afternoon. But at the same time, I realized pretty early on in my career that it didn't matter how smart I was if I couldn't work with other people. And the ability to, like, uh, the thing that he said that got me the angriest was uh, a 10x engineer basically won't document their code. Yeah. Do you know how useless a code base is if it's spaghetti code that hasn't been done in a pair programming yep. and has no documentation? No like he joke. Said, oh, the code speaks for itself. That is, and please put a time note here, that is horseshit. That is absolute horseshit. Like, you've got to have this stuff documented so you're not the only person that can maintain it after the fact. A good engineering team has a leader on it that can work with people across the spectrum, can per- work with people that are neurotypical and people that are not neurotypical, can work with extroverts, can work with introverts. Totally. A good engineering team has all these kinds of people on it. And we've got to get past this idea that the most toxic, self-centered personality type is the only way to be an engineer. I 1000% agree. I couldn't agree more. And and I also agree with you on your expletive because yes, documenting code is so important for so many reasons because in most cases, the person who writes and starts the project is not going to be there for the entire life of it, right? People, maybe they'll leave, maybe they leave the company. Maybe um, they move to a different project. Maybe they pass away. You know, you never know what's going to happen. So having well-documented code and documentation period is really useful for other people. And if you're really talking about wanting to have 10X engineers so that you can build your startup, okay, well, then you should conceive of the time when this so-called 10X engineer cannot possibly, by magnitudes of scale, be involved in every single bit of code that your company is responsible for, right? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. So to counter this, my colleague, Tierney, made a really (laughs) great website at 1x.engineer. And uh, it says, and, bas- and if you go to it, it's, it's got a great style because uh, it's using the uh, NES.CSS uh, style I love sheet. It. I it love says, it. Uh, oh, you might have already heard of a 10x engineer, probably too often, actually. If there's such a thing as a 10x engineer, surely there must be such thing as a 1x engineer, too. And of course there is. So we dig into the non exhaustive uh, list of what qualities make up a 1x engineer. And it's kind of the antithesis 
of uh, of all of that stuff. Um, I added a couple things to it, like um, doesn't take themselves too seriously and isn't defined by myopic tweet storms by clueless VCs. Um, <laughs> there's also, um, if you go to the GitHub repo, I've created a badge, a GitHub style badge uh, that people can put on their own projects that, that makes it clear that you're a 1X engineer. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think is fun. So yeah, this meme uh, and, and Bree's response, like it was actually really funny. I think that you you got more likes or almost as many likes with your response as he did with, <laughs> with his original um, uh, tweet storm. So ha ha. But uh, it's just, I, uh, I, it's the thing that I cannot stress enough. Like Christina is just a simple fact it is an objective fact that women leave the tech industry at a rate of three times what men do. That's just a fact. And this kind of toxic behavior, it's just, it's, yeah, the analogy I made on Twitter is it's like, um, it's like a, a, a hog farm that just pours all the pig waste into a nearby stream because totally. all the toxicity it poisons the company around them. There's a brilliant piece out there. It's called, We Fired Our Brilliant Jerk on the Team and Our, and our Team Got Better. It's basically talking, it's this uh, product manager talking about how they had this one brilliant jerk on the team who they call Rick, who you know could not be bothered to work with anyone else and he just banged out code and that no one else could understand. He was the only person that could maintain it. And he just sat in his office and did all of this. Eventually, they fired him. And they redesigned the software. They made it simple to meet the base requirements. And it was a, a faster, more agile project that they could actually update on time. And I will take that all day, every day, over a team with some brilliant jerk on it that just makes everyone else's life miserable. It is terrible working with these people. I worked with one, and I'm not going to give names, but I'm Rev60. And he wasn't a coder, but he was a polygonal modeler. And he created stuff that was absolutely beautiful, but he took every single shortcut that he could in creating it. In polygonal geometry, you don't want to cross uh, tries and quads. Uh, quad is like a, a piece of geometry of four corners versus three. He would just design it however he wanted. And because of this, it was impossible to use in a pipeline because so, when someone had to take it apart and you know, UV it or put materials on it or flip the normals or soften the edges. It was just impossible to work with. And when you try to talk to him about it, he would get toxic and aggressive. We fired him and it was the best decision our team made. So I, there's just such a cost to normal people on a team when you have this being like the idea that we put forward and praise. Does that make sense? 1,000%. And, and I think to... What it does is it, it doesn't just take the team down, but also, like you said, like for, for people who are already leaving uh, the tech community or who are already marginalized, or already have a harder time kind of entering, all this does, of, 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 in my opinion, like reinforcing this type of behavior does is prevent those people from even trying to enter the industry, right? Like if I was somebody, I can't, I, I, I would be, I, I normally wouldn't have been like that bothered by this whole thing if. I didn't see so many responses from young, you know, uh, uh, you know, people of color and women and, and others trying to break into the industry who felt so demoralized, being like, "Oh, well, gosh, I'm, I, I don't have any of those qualities, so I'm never going to be a 10x engineer. Should I even bother getting involved?" Ugh. You know, and it's like, okay, no, 
And that's why I think why 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 Tierney's you know one X engineer thing was good. And I think that's why I, I found that um that article about uh you know fired our top talent is a great point because people come in all shapes and 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 it takes all types to to make a team. And in that brilliant super person isn't always look. You occasionally do have unicorns where you have somebody who is great to work with and amazing at everything they do. That's not super common. Period. And uh, those people who are not going to be the type who are going to tell you that they're that type, you know? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Anyone that walks into a situation is like, I'm a 10X engineer. This is my message to any product manager thinking about working with them. You are dealing with someone who is uninterested in leveling up the parts of your personality you need the most to operate on a software dev team. When you're sitting down, uh, a quick story, Christina, when we were developing Rev60, um, one of the problems we came across is we were trying to do facial animation that had never really been done on iOS devices before. Um, Unreal has a mesh influencing bone limit of 75 bones, uh, meaning you can't have that many joints for an entire character. If you have more than that, your faces, like, they would melt and we had tremendously complex animation rigs. We had a meeting where one of the things we tried was so off the wall that um, you have a weapon socket in Unreal. Um, think about how many games you've played where people swap uh, the weapons in and out of their hands. It's a little socket joint. And we created skeletal meshes where the head was technically a weapon that you would snap into the top of the of the skeletal mesh of the body just so we could cheat and get more um, joints there in that figure. That was a kind of solution that happened in a meeting where all the ideas were on the table, nothing was thrown away, we were trying to solve a very, very difficult problem. That's the kind of problem you need an entire team behind. The problem with the 10X engineer stereotype is on an engineering team, if you have someone who needs to be right all the time, yep. someone who's so smug about what they know and don't know, they are not going to be able to take like suggestions from other people. It quickly becomes about their ego instead of the project you're trying to work on. It is the most destructive thing you could possibly have for a team. So to me, a 10X engineer is someone who will come into a team and will be humble, someone that will mentor others, Mm -hmm. someone that no one likes documenting code. You think I like doing that, but you've got to do it so other people understand what the freak you're doing. Those soft skills. Yeah, working on that. Yeah, go ahead. And and maybe I was going to say no. And, 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 you know, you might not like documenting code, but guess what? It's going to maybe make you better. Yeah. Um, and and make you understand what you're doing more. And it might be one of those things we're saying, oh, I don't want to take the time to do this. Well, I don't know. Guess what? Like, may, maybe this is going to um, Im- improve uh, my understanding of what I'm doing. And now I get to, I have to make the argument that I want to make now. And I, I, I can understand this better. Like, that's great. What about if you're refactoring code three months down the line? Like, right, you're gonna, you're too, you're too precious a snowflake to go like that. I, I could talk about this all day. Anyway, this is a bad stereotype. It needs to die. There is no one way to be a no. software developer. There are many ways. Yeah, I want to tell you something. Like, it is the entire gamut of personality types here. Our industry fails at being opening and managing people on the autism spectrum well. Yes. We suck at that. We do. And we've got to get better. 
that's a perfectly fine way to be an engineer, but those people have to be open to working, like to leveling up the parts of themselves that are, that could use improvement. That goes for me. It goes for you. This is just the dynamics of being on a team. So, oh, let's just let this die. Yes, we, we, we will definitely let that die. But uh, huh, I, I knew we were going to get riled up about this because, yeah, it's just, anyway. Um, on to happier <laughs> news. On to happier news. I'm really excited. What are you doing this weekend, Brie? Oh, God, what am I doing? We are throwing a big housewarming party uh, on the 27th, uh, which I'm super excited about. So we are prepping for that. Uh, We are continuing to raise money, and I'm continuing to unpack (laughs) this giant house. So it's going to be a fun week. Nice. uh, I'm not feeling well, so I'm hoping to not be sick anymore. Um, And and that's that's good. I'm going to put a link in here, and I'm just going to, because it's, tangentially related to a little bit about what we were talking about. Um, I was on, I recorded it during build, but it went live last week. Um, I was on um, uh, the uh, Screaming at the Cloud podcast uh, with Corey Quinn, and we talked a little bit about um, my journey into uh, how I got into tech, which many listeners will kind of already know. Oh. But but also we talked about kind of like the the kind of the cloud native generation and and some of the same things that we just talked about in terms of why it's important to have diversity on teams and get people from different backgrounds um, to uh, to work on stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a link in there for that. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping this weekend just to just not be sick. Yeah, I understand that desire. <laughs> so awesome. Where can people find you online, Christina? They can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And the shirt that I'm wearing for this week's show, which will be up on Saturday, is maybe the greatest shirt that I've ever owned slash like seen in my life. So uh, people should uh, should check that out. And what about you, Brie? Uh, just find me on Twitter at uh, Brianna Wu or on Facebook at Developer Brianna Wu. Amazing. You can find Simone at Doom Quasar on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I'm hoping that she will be snapping lots of good stuff or, or gramming lots of good stuff, I guess, from uh, from Comic-Con. And yep. uh, if you like this episode, please uh, give it a, uh, a, a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Really helps us out. Uh, helps us uh, with uh, their algorithm, as they say. And uh, we appreciate you. Thanks to Pingdom and Burrow. And uh, this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated.